Hey friends, this is Chad. It is so good to see you uh, this Sunday morning. We are grateful that you would join us online as we continue uh, walking through this idea of social distancing together. We're starting a new series as a church. Uh, the title of the series is One Hit Wonders. Uh, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. I was in middle school. I remember watching MTV, Kids That's Music Television. Here's what would happen. A band or an artist would produce a video, and all of us wanted to watch the video. And some of those popular musicians were or Janet Jackson or MC Hammer. But from time to time, we would watch this show called uh, TRL. Anybody remember TRL? We would have a an artist show up that we had never heard of before and who we honestly would never hear from again. And these people were called One Hit Wonders you're going to recognize the names of some of them. We have Robert Palmer, who sang the song Addicted to Love. You've also got Vanilla Ice, who sang Ice, Ice Baby. The title of the song is very much related to his name. Uh, You have Millie Vanilli, who blamed it on the rain. All of these were one-hit wonders. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at books of the Bible that are wonderful, but there's only one chapter in the book. And we're going to walk through those together. And our first is the book of Obadiah. The title of the book is named after the person who they believe to write it, Obadiah. And the title of our sermon is Spirit in the Sky. The song was written in 1969 by a Jewish singer-songwriter named Norman Greenbaum. And he grew fascinated with the idea of gospel music and southern rock and Christianity. Never became a Christian to my knowledge. He was fascinated with the idea more than likely because he realized you could sell a lot of albums that had that sound to people in the South. But you'll know the song, Spirit in the Sky. If you remember it, why don't you let us know in the comment section. Spirit in the Sky is the second most popular song that's played at funerals right now. I find that very interesting because of the lyrics. It is also used in multiple motion pictures. So kids or adults or whomever is interacting with us today, can you tell me which Marvel movie it was used in? Was Spirit in the Sky used in Iron Man? Was it used in Captain America? Was it used in Guardians of the Galaxy? Or was it used in The Avengers? One more time. Which of these movies was Spirit in the Sky used in? Iron Man? Captain Marvel? Guardians of the Galaxy? Or The Avengers? The answer, if you know anything about the Marvel movies and the songs they choose, and the reason that they choose them, is the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. 
We're going to look at Obadiah today. And he is someone who is a prophet of the Lord. And as a prophet, he is going to speak on behalf of the Lord to a people. He's going to hear from God. And God is going to speak directly through him. God is going to use Obadiah and the various other prophets that we see in Scripture to say something to his people, or in this case, to another people who have no relationship with him, who are far from him. And God is speaking to these people through Obadiah. Obadiah speaking on behalf of the divine. The book's written in around 587 B.C. The fall of Jerusalem had taken place. And the fall of Judah had taken place to the Babylonians. Joel tells us that that fall was a result of the disobedience. It was God's judgment on His people for being disobedient to Him. Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. There are 12 people that are named at in the Scriptures, uh, but we don't definitively know which one of those people it happens to be. But we have this very short message from what we call a minor prophet. But we can't overlook this. Just because it's a minor prophet does not mean that he does not have a major message. There's an incredibly important message here. You have some primary characters here. Judah is the descendant of Jacob. If you are unfamiliar with Jewish territory, there was the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. You have Judah, the descendant of Jacob. You have Edom. They're the descendants of Esau. So if you are unfamiliar with the Bible story, you have these brothers. They're the children of Isaac. You have Jacob and Esau. There's an argument over a birthright. Esau's the older son. He's really, really hairy. needs nair. You have Jacob who gets into a disagreement with his brother. Eventually, Jacob tricks his father with a bowl of stew. And as he tricks his father, he takes the birthright of his brother Esau. Hatred between these two brothers eventually becomes hatred between the nation of Israel and Judah and the nation of Edom. So we have this book that's written to primarily unbelievers, and God is going to teach us something through it. You'll notice as you read through Obadiah, the word Lord is capitalized multiple times. The reason the word Lord is capitalized in your Bible is because God is communicating something to us. This is this capitalization is the way that your English translations communicate the idea of the name of God in the Old Testament, the name Yahweh. And as we look through this passage, there are things that we can see and things that we can know about Yahweh or who we call God. And these things are really important for us to understand this text. This unspeakable name of God who has chosen to speak to us. The first thing that we see is that God recognizes. The first thing that we see in this text is that God recognizes. He recognizes the sins of Edom. And He is letting them know that His judgment upon them for their mistreatment of His people is absolutely certain. Go with me. First nine verses of the book of Obadiah. We're going to cover them all. I know you're worrying about that at home. Verse nine, Chapter Chapter 1, because there's only one chapter. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. New book, who dis? It's Obadiah. It's from him. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let us go to war against her. 
Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you. You who live in clefts of the rock, in your home on the heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar like an eagle, and you make your nest among the stars... Even from where I will bring you down, this is the Lord's declaration. God is saying, first four verses, based on your own effort, based on your own decisions, you believe yourself to be way up here, and I'm going to bring you way down here. So, as we walk through these books that we more than likely are unfamiliar with, especially this Old Testament book, I want us to stop and ask a very important question regularly. It's the question that we always ask whenever we read a passage that we are less familiar with. And that question is this. What does all of this, a war between the people of Judah and the nation of Edom, what does this have to do with me? Remember, God has just said, you have understood yourself to be important because of your own effort, your own energy, and I'm going to bring you low. This nation struggled with pride of all of the people in the world outside of Israel and Judah. The nation of Edom would have understood Yahweh the best, yet rather than trusting in Him alongside with the Jewish people, they trusted in their stuff. They trusted in their possessions. We notice that as we walk through these next few verses. We see what they place their trust in. Verse 5, If thieves came to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged you would be. Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? If grape harvesters came to you, wouldn't they leave a few grapes? How Esau or Edom will be pillaged, his hidden treasures searched out. Everyone, verse 7, who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive you and conquer you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. You will be unaware of it. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, the word of Yahweh. I will not eliminate the wise ones of Edom. And those who understand from the hill country of Esau... Timon, your warriors will be terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. You will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of violence done to your brother Jacob. As you look at this text, we see the nation of Edom trusting in their own possessions, their own resources. They trust in their power. They trust in their ally. They trust in their own ability. So if we are going to be people of God who want to hear from this servant of the Lord, we have to ask ourselves, where are we placing our trust? What are we, as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, placing our trust in? Do we find ourselves placing our trust in what we have, in our own possessions, in our own abilities, in our own relationships, or are we trusting in something that is supernatural, that has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus? Do we not sense in a time like this the helplessness that has really been put upon us as we look around and consider the world that we live in and we see, you know, I may believe myself to be important, but in the grand scheme of things... 
this may just may be bringing some of us as followers of Jesus low to see our, our need for Him. We look at this text and we see God pointing out to us that our pride will get us nowhere ultimately. But He's offered us hope. He's offered us a hope that's greater than that, that's beyond that. What we see, God recognizes the sins of these people. And I would love for us as followers of Jesus to look at our own lives in the grand scheme of all that Scripture teaches and consider that God wants us to recognize our desire to find our place and to find our position and our authority in ourselves and that He would bring us low. God recognizes. The next thing we see is God's reason for punishing Edom. First, we can pick up with that as we go to verse 11. On that day you stood aloof. On the day strangers captured his wealth, while foreigners entered his city gate and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were just like one of them. The nation of Edom stood on the side... And they watched as the Babylonians came in and pillaged the people of Judah. They stole from them. The Babylonians mistreated them. And all of this, part of God's judgment in a sense on His own people. But while this is taking place, the Edomites did not just stand and watch. We notice that their sin escalates. Pastor Landon Dowden, a good friend of mine, says this, that a sin against God's people is a sin against God. That's why when Jesus confronts Saul in Acts chapter 9, he does not say to him, why are you persecuting my people? The question Jesus asks is, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And not only do you see these people uh, sinning by their ignorance of the situation, we see them sinning by the way they respond to it. So, So what does this have to do with me? What question? Here's the question we continually ask. What does all of this have to do with me? Do you see your own sin escalating? As you seek to follow Jesus, do you find yourself in places where one sin leads to a greater sin, leading to a greater sin over and over and over? The Edomites gloated over their mistreatment of Israel. Some Jewish Jewish sources believe this. It was the Edomites who set the temple on fire. Go with me to verse 12. Do not gloat over your brother in the day of his calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the days of their destruction. Do not boastfully mock in the days of distress. Do not enter my people's city gate in the days of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their misery in the days of their disaster. And do not appropriate their possessions in the days of their, of their disaster. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives. And do not hand over their survivors in the day of distress. Not only do these people stand and watch as the Babylonians come in to ravage the the people of Judah, eventually they ran in and looted Israel while the Babylonians were invading. Imagine that your neighbor's house is being robbed. What a terrible thing to consider. But rather than running in and doing everything you can to help, while you notice that this neighbor is being mistreated and abused, You steal their TV and you point out to the robbers that they have overlooked the value of the golden doodle hiding behind the couch. 
Then as everyone walks out the door, rather than you leaving the home still intact, you set it ablaze. That's what happened with the people of Edom as Judah was being taken captive and mistreated. Uh, Furthermore, when Jewish refugees left Israel and tried to sneak through Edom, that's happened. It literally happened according to history. The Edomites rounded them up and they sent them to Babylon. And God looks at all of this and He says, As my people, what are you doing? What are you doing to my people is the question of Yahweh. But for those of us who are believers in Jesus, I would even ask this. Do we look at those who are being mistreated and abused around us? And do we see the opportunity that we have to care for them where they are, when they are, in the situation that they happen to be in? Because ultimately God's Word speaks to all of us who know Him. And God uses messages like the one from Obadiah to teach us what He would have us to be and how He would have us to respond. Go with me to verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. So God's not simply going to judge Edom. God's going to judge the entirety of the world. That is not simply nations, but it is everyone who is in opposition to Him. As you have done, God says, it will be done to you. You reap what you sow is the Old Testament principle that we see here. What you deserve will return on your head. As you have drunk on my holy communion, on my, on my holy mountain, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. Therefore, no survival will remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The Edomites, as you walk through history, were eventually absorbed into the Jewish people through various battles. Every time something would happen, you would see them losing a small piece of land because they were not strong enough to hold on to those pieces of land. God saw how they were treating His people. God saw how they were treating people in distress and in difficult situation. And friends, it's no different for me and for you. God sees how we treat people. God sees the way that we respond to the needs of people. Because ultimately, the thing that we have to consider is how we are is who we are. How we behave shows who we really are. How we treat the least of these is who you and I really are. Obadiah, in this passage, hints at what we hear from Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 when he tells us about the sheep and the goats. Ultimately, we look at this text and we see see what is being shown here is that God will exalt those who have been mistreated by others. The innocent victim is exalted. We hear these words from Jesus when we look into the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. More so, we realize that there is only one who is ultimately innocent. And it is He who ultimately exalts us. We see that in the next piece of our passage. As we look, as we move from God's reason to God's return. 
God's return. Now, I don't want you to miss this, that God never left. But Edom had acted like he'd left. Edom acted like they had no recognition of this God of the Jewish people. But God here in this passage tells that he will reign forever and forever. Friends, the book of Obadiah is not primary, primarily about Edom or about Israel. The book of, of Obadiah is primarily about God, as every book of the Bible is. It shows us who God is, and it shows us the reign and the rule of God. It is greater than every other kingdom in the history of kingdoms. Go with me to verse 17 of the passage. It says this to us. But there will be deliverance on Mount Zion. And it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will stubble. Those words of fire and flame are obviously good things from what we see in the text. But the house of Esau will be brought low. It will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and he will consume Edom. There will be nothing that remains of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. God is saying of Israel... And of the people that he loves, I see that you are being, that you are walking through what seems to be a punishment. But the promise that God has for his people is a promise that we should cling to. That his discipline is not his destruction. Friends, when God disciplines us as his people, he's doing that because he loves us. He's helping us to understand and know him better and to love him more. There, uh, You look at this text and... These are all places, as you read these next few verses, that are around Israel today. Let me, let me show you. Verse 19. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. Those, they will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. All of these words are things that the... Biblical hearer at this point in history would understand. They would recognize these words, but they did not simply recognize these words as an explanation of these various pieces that God was going to possess for the Jewish person. At this point in history, God has just referenced the entirety of the world. Israel itself is around the size of New Jersey, roughly. Do you really believe when the Bible tells us that we have the God of Israel, that all he desires to do is take care of New Jersey? Have you been to New Jersey? What we see God saying as he uses this language is that he will be the God who reigns and rules over everything that you know. He's using literal references to let us know how good of a God he is. He is helping us to understand things we cannot understand, these people to understand what they cannot understand with a comparison. It's almost like when your child says that something is as big as Texas. It's a way to wrap their mind around it. It's like when I talk to my children and I tell them they need to be really quiet and I tell one of them to be sneaky like Batman. Or, or I tell one of my kids to, to do a chore and to do that chore quickly. I say, you be as fast as the flash. I'm using an explanation of something to help them to see the grandness of what I'm asking. 
God is saying about Himself that there is something grand to who I am. I'm not just the God of New Jersey. I'm the God of everywhere. I'm the God who will reign and rule over everything that you can lay your eyes on. That's who I am. Again, we ask the question, well, what does this have to do with me? If God is going to reign and rule over everything, and He's explaining this to us with these limited references so that we can grasp it, how am I supposed to understand this as a follower of Jesus? We as a church use language that hopefully is helpful. We talk about God using our time, our talents, and our treasures. You've heard myself say that. You've heard me say that. You've heard Jared say that. We like to talk about that. But do you really believe that God only wants to use these words that we throw out? What does God want to reign and rule in in regard to your life? He wants you to know that He reigns and rules over all of it. Friends, we don't make Jesus Lord. That's who He is. We just get to respond to it. And with everything that you have, everything in your life, everything in your bank account, everything that belongs to you. God says, make much of me through it. God referencing himself in this passage. Letting God, God letting us know who he is and how he wants us to know him. How he wants us to trust him. Go with me as we look at this passage again. They will possess, middle of verse 19, the, ter- the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exile of the Israelites are in Halah, and who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. Savior, verse 21, incredibly important for us. I don't want us to miss it. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion. Now the word Savior there is is plural, as you can see. That's why there's an S on it. I'm not teaching English. This isn't your kid's Zoom class. This is the same word that's used for the name Jesus. The, The root is the same. We are seeing an allusion to what God would do when He saves the world. That He would save the world in Himself, by Himself that the hope of the world is found in this Yahweh to rule over the hill country of Esau, but the kingdom will be the Lord's. God is saying that I will reign and rule over everything. And I'm sending a Savior to do so. But you look at this text in light of all that we know in regard to the person of Jesus. And we see that the salvation He offers is one where He walks in and He redeems He redeems a condemned people. The group of men that I meet with every week for Bible study, we talked the other day about how Jesus has come to rescue the world. He has come to offer hope to the world because the world was already resting in its own destruction. We were condemned already, according to John chapter 3. But Jesus, the great rescuer, Jesus, the great divider, and make no mistake, Jesus divides. He is the most divisive person in the history of history. Very much like this. Oh, I've got a friend at church. His name is Danny. And Danny loves Big Red. Now, I'll be honest with you. I think Big Red is disgusting. When it is mentioned, you have these two polarized thoughts in regard to what Big Red is. One person who loves it, one person who cannot stand it. But it's the same thing that's dividing. 
The person of Jesus does that. Our response to Jesus is that. That He offers, that we would love, for those who love Him, we're drawn to Him, we want to know Him, we want to interact with Him, we want to trust Him. But He is divisive in that it separates, that He pushes, that, that there, those who do not respond to Him do not have hope. We look at this text and we see saviors mentioned. There is a Savior who is going to reign and rule but ultimately in the grand scheme of things. The salvation that He offers does not come because He destroys. It comes because He was destroyed in our place. It does not come because He approaches His enemy with a sword. He was actually taken captive when someone was holding a sword in His face. We see that Jesus was crucified in our place. That the destruction of Jesus is ultimately our hope. He was crushed. He was bruised for us. And we have been enabled to respond to this, that we could be people who see because of who Jesus is. We can live lives that honor Him and bring glory to Him and show that He matters to us because He's better than everything else this world has to offer How many of us today are hearing a passage like this and we are resting in our own power? We're resting in our own stuff. Maybe you're even a follower of Jesus and you find yourself resting in your friendships, you're resting in your relationships, you're resting in what you have, you're resting in your job, you're resting in your things as opposed to the God who gave those things to you. And Jesus would call you to repent. He would call you to turn to Him and turn away from those things. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer in Jesus, He says the same to you. I want you to turn away from everything else and realize that destruction, I've taken destruction upon myself so that you could be rescued, so that I could save you. That's who Jesus is. That's how Jesus works. So if you're here and you are watching this video, I would encourage you, if, you've trusted, if you want to trust in Jesus, message us. Let us know what, that you would like to ask questions about Jesus. We'll schedule a way for us to interact safely and virtually so that we can talk about the message of hope that is Jesus. If you're a believer who wants to talk or ask someone to pray for you in light of what you're dealing with, as we look at this text, I would encourage you, please reach out to us. We love you. We are a phone call. We are a text message. We are a message away. Because we have one hope, and that is the Savior of the world that has revealed Himself in Jesus. Let's trust Him. Let's believe in Him. Because His kingdom is grand and it is unshakable. Much, much bigger than New Jersey. We look at this story, and when we consider the song, there's a line in it where Norman Greenbaum refers to the fact that he's not a sinner. He's never sinned. That is a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. Because the Bible tells us this, all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. That all of us are in opposition to God. Yet in spite of that, that God looks at our rebellion, that God looks at our pride, and He reaches in and says, I'll be your hope. Hopefully today you will respond to that hope. If you're not a believer, you'll trust in Jesus. If you are a believer, you will redirect your life so that it looks more like Jesus and not as if you were trusting in your own things. God, I thank you for the people who would 
give a small portion of their Sunday morning to look at your word with us. God, I pray right now, if there are any who have never placed their faith in you who are watching this, that they will trust that there is one great Savior who is going to reign and rule over everything forever and ever. They are condemned apart from Him. God, for those of us who are believers, I pray that you, you will use a passage to confront our own pride and our own things and turn us toward you. We thank you for being a God who loves your people. So continue to teach us what it means to be yours because you are the great God who speaks to us. Let us be people who dwell in your word, who love you deeply. Each week we say what we call the Lord's Prayer together, found in Matthew chapter 6. We'll close out with that. We love you guys. It goes like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever.